Welcome to the What's Literacy Got to Do With It podcast, a podcast for exploring all things literacy in Quebec and beyond. Literacy is more than knowing how to read and write. It's also about empowering each other and yourself to thrive throughout all aspects of our lives. We're your hosts, Jamie Cudmore and Chris Shee. Let's get to it. Welcome to the What's Literacy Got to Do With It podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Cunmore. We don't have Chris Shee with us today, but we have a very special episode to help prepare us for the upcoming federal election on September 20th. The advanced polls are closed now, but you can still go out on the 20th to your polling station and vote. So this episode is all about how to vote, learning about civic literacy, and also learning about how to understand all of the information that's coming at us every day on social media, in the news, to help us make the best decisions in our vote. We have special guest Janet Moat from ABC Life Literacy Canada. We talk about civic literacy and about the voting toolkit that ABC has just released and a replay of our 2019 interview with Matthew Johnson from Media Smarts. We talk about media literacy with him. So sit back, think about your voting choices, think about how you're going to get to uh, the polling station on the 20th, and happy voting. Welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you all today, and I'm happy to introduce you to Janet Moet, the Programs Manager at ABC Life Literacy Canada. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jamie. Thanks so much for having me. It's really exciting to have you because we have the federal election coming up on September 20th. There's been some advanced voting already. A great time to get you in to talk about what's happening at ABC Life Literacy and the resources that you offer. But first, why don't you introduce yourself and what is ABC Life Literacy Canada? For sure. Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, my name is Janet Mowat. I'm the programs manager at ABC Life Literacy Canada. I've been with the organization for about two and a half years now and absolutely love what we do. So I love talking about it. ABC Life Literacy, for those who don't know, we're an organization that provides adult literacy learning resources for practitioners. So our mandate really is to support practitioners working in the community, working with adult literacy learners. And a big way that we support them is by creating these learning materials. We have a variety of different programs. We have you know soft skills, financial literacy, digital literacy, and also civic literacy, which is the one we're talking about today. Great. Can you give us a definition of civic literacy? What is it? Why is it important, especially right now? Yeah, for sure. So what is civic literacy? Why is it important? Civic literacy means having the knowledge and skills that you need to participate in making change in your community. That can be at a variety of levels. That can be at the national level, Canada-wide. It can be province or territory-wide. It can be municipal, which means in your town or city. So in Canada, when we talk about civic literacy, this can include voting, knowing how to vote. It can include knowing how the government works. And it can also include knowing the rights and responsibilities of citizens like you and also of the members of the government that you're voting for. So civic literacy is not just important during elections, even though this is the time when we talk about it the most, 
So it's important to understand what's happening in government all the time. And civic literacy is really about developing the tools that you need to do that. So why is civic literacy important? There have been a lot of studies about civic literacy and the impact that it has on people. So people who are more civically literate, they're more likely to vote. They're more likely to identify political issues that are the most important to them. Um, They're more likely to know how to make change politically. They know how to make positive change with the government. They're also more likely to be more tolerant of other people, to be more accepting of other people and other people's political viewpoints. Civically literate people are also less likely to be influenced by negative campaigning. So when politicians attack other politicians in negative ways, people who are civically literate don't tend to be influenced by that. They really want to know information, like facts, rather than attacks. So those are kind of the differences for people who have civic literacy and how it kind of improves the decisions that you can make and the actions that you can take. I think you're bringing up some really good points, especially right now with so much online, so much information we all have to wade through just in general. Mm -hmm. But also when we're being presented with the different platforms of different candidates and then trying to understand what fits for us in our own views, but then how to how to select somebody. So I think this comes to my next question about why it's important to vote and what is important to think about. How should we wade through some of the information that's coming to us in order to make an informed choice? Yeah, and it it really is about looking for information and learning as much as you can. There's always more that you can learn. So I'll try to break this down as clearly as I can, but I'm going to talk about resource very soon. It guides you through this kind of thinking. Why is voting important? So it's a way to make sure your voice is heard when the government is making important decisions. So when you vote for somebody in any election, I already mentioned those different levels, Canada-wide, in your province or territory, or in your town. When you're voting for any of those, you're helping to choose someone who will represent you when the government is making those important decisions. If you're not sure who to vote for, it's helpful to think about the political issues that are important to you. And then once you know those political issues and you know your opinions, then you can pick someone to vote for based on whether you agree with them on those issues. Issues are the things that the government makes decisions about. Issues can be things like healthcare, environment, human rights, taxes. There's a whole bunch of these big important issues. And they're the sorts of issues that influence your life. And they're the sorts of issues that most of us have opinions about. So when you're trying to decide sort of how you feel about one of these important issues, you can ask yourself, you know, what is my opinion on this issue? Do I have an opinion already? Do I maybe need to learn more about this issue before I can make up my mind about it? You can, there are lots of different places where you can learn about these issues. If you have people that you trust, you can talk to them about how they feel about those issues. You can read the news. There's a lot of false information out there. And That's a huge topic and I can't really get into it here, but a good way to get past false information is by learning as much as you can and having as many conversations as you can and trying to 
understand different viewpoints about these issues. When you can see different viewpoints, you can decide which one really is best for you. So finally, you've learned about these issues. You've decided how you feel about them. Then you can learn about the candidates in your riding, the people you're actually voting for. You can learn about their political parties. And then you can decide who you think will do the best job representing you in the government. That sounds like a lot. In practice, this is something that, you know, with civic literacy, you're doing every day of your life. You're thinking about these issues and it's just part of your life to think about and talk about these things. That's really helpful. I think, especially as you said, there's a lot of fake information out there. It's hard to know what is true, what is not true. So doing that kind of critical thinking process, Mm -hmm. gathering information, that's really key to fostering your own civic literacy, but also just understanding what your beliefs are, what is real, and and then processing that information. Media Smarts is, is an organization that you might know. And I think ABC also has resources on media literacy and Media Literacy Week's coming up in October. So be sure to check out ABC and also Media Smarts for more information on how to wade through some of the media that's coming your way. But speaking of resources, uh, what kind of resources does ABC have to help people who maybe are literacy practitioners or people who are just individuals who want to learn more about how to vote, just the process, how to do some of these things that you're talking about? Yeah. So we just, I guess when you're hearing this, it'll be about a month ago, we just launched our revamped guide to voting program. So this program breaks down pretty much all of the information you need to know about voting in Canada in plain language. So it's quite an accessible resource. We created this to help literacy practitioners to engage adult literacy learners in civic literacy activities. We designed this leading up to the federal election happening on September 20th. But most of the information in this guide isn't specific to, well, none of it is specific to the September 20th election. It's general federal election information. And also a lot of this information applies to other kinds of elections. So if if there are provincial elections or territorial elections, or if there are municipal elections coming up, then most of the information in this guide is still relevant beyond this federal election. We created it in partnership with Elections Canada, and the guide is available in both English and French. I'll tell you a little bit about what's inside it, and then I'll tell you how you can access it as well. So in the guide, you will find information, links, uh, and also interactive activities that help adult literacy learners understand the basics of voting. So what they'll find in this workbook is why voting is important. Issues in political parties, like I was talking about before, how to register to vote, what ID you need to vote, different ways to vote, accessibility resources that are available for voting, and also an activity to help you understand what you can expect when you actually go into a polling place. So anyone can access the guidebook, uh, and also anyone can access the activities from the Guide to Voting program to access just the activities and go through them. People can go through this on their own or with guidance from from a practitioner, an instructor. You can find it on our free online learning portal, ABC Skills Hub. So to access the online course, that's abcskillshub.ca, abcskillshub, all one word, .ca. 
You can also access, anyone can access a free PDF of the workbook for download, as well as all of the activities in the workbook for download separately. You can find the PDF workbook for download at abccivicmatters.ca. So all one word, abccivicmatters.ca. Great. We'll put those links in our show notes uh, so that our listeners can easily find them. What is different from the previous edition of the toolkit, just for people maybe who've seen it before, or they're wondering what's changed in the last little while? There are lots of changes that we made. I guess I'll talk about kind of more general changes. So one is that we used simpler language in this version than in the previous version. It's more appropriate for adult literacy learners who are going through it themselves. The previous version was entirely aimed at literacy practitioners who were going to teach from the workbook. So it was like the audience that we were sort of talking to was practitioners or instructors. And this time the audience is practitioners or instructors, but it can also be learners who are going through themselves. So in the old version, we didn't have interactive activities in the workbook. We just had suggestions for activities you could lead. This time we have the activities in the workbook So a learner can just go through it themselves and all of the information they need is there in the workbook. That's probably particularly useful right now when a lot of us are still separated or not being able to go Mm -hmm. into spaces as easily as we were able to before. So that's really great to hear about those extra pieces in, in the toolkit, more accessible language, but also those exercises. And again, we'll share that in our show notes. Do you have any final thoughts, anything else you want to share with us about civic literacy, about ABC, anything that comes to mind? I guess two final thoughts, one that is about civic literacy and one about ABC. So final thought on civic literacy. This is something that's come up a lot. It's really common for people to think, especially if you've never voted before, it's common for people to think that voting is hard. And that's not surprising. It's okay to feel that way. It can be hard to find the right information in language that is accessible. But the reality is that voting is easy. Once you've done it, you'll see that voting really is easy. The average amount of time it takes to go vote is seven minutes. I went and voted in an advanced poll this past weekend, and it was literally two minutes from when I arrived at the polling station to when I left after voting. It was Really quick. Similar experience too. That's really great. Yeah. 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 Very Um, quick. So it can feel complicated, but really when it comes down to it, voting is an easy thing and it's an easy thing to make a part of your life. And the guide to voting is really there to kind of demystify voting, to make you feel like, okay, I do have a plan and I do understand what I need to do. And this is something that I can do. So I just wanted to get that out there. And the very last thing that I wanted to share is I mentioned ABC Skills Hub, our online uh, learning platform. That's brand new to ABC. Usually our resources have been available in print workbooks or PDFs, but we've just been putting our resources online for independent learning or for practitioners to sort of take their learners through these online courses. So please do check it out if that's something that's interesting to you. I said it before, but abcskillshub, all one word, .ca. You'll find not just the guide to voting, but also Upskills for Work, our, our soft skills program. You'll find our financial literacy program, Money Matters, on there. And we're adding new courses all the time. So come back often. You'll probably find new things. 
That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us and congrats on that new resource. I'm sure there's a lot of people who will be going there right away to find out what you have to offer. And thanks again so much for joining us for this really quick episode, but very important information about the election on September 20th, giving us encouragement and the additional resource, the toolkit, in order to learn how to, to go vote and to consider why civic literacy is really important. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. Thank you. Up next is an edited replay of our 2019 interview with Matthew Johnson for Media Smart just before the last election. We thought a replay of this interview would be a good reminder on how to develop our critical thinking skills when consuming media, when looking at social media, and also to help us make informed decisions during this next election. Have a listen. We're here with Matthew Johnson from Media Smarts. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Can you explain to us what is digital and media literacy? What media literacy is fundamentally is the ability to engage critically with media. So it begins with the key concept that media are constructions, that they're not reflections of reality, that they're something that was made by someone, they were made for a purpose, and they reflect the attitudes, the beliefs, and in particular, the assumptions of the people that created them. And they reflect as well the social and commercial pressures that went into them. We know that most media are created to make money, and even when they don't, they cost money to make. And we know as well, because we can never entirely convince our unconscious selves that media aren't real, media also have social and political implications. We take a lot of our views of what reality is from media. And so the most disposable medium the most disposable media text will have a social and political meaning, if only by who is the protagonist. But of course, media literacy is aimed very much at helping people engage with that critically so that we can ask questions about that. And in some cases, we can see the questions that the people who made the media maybe didn't ask. Maybe does this main character have to be male? Is it really true that boys will only go see movies or watch TV shows with male lead character. That's not true. So these unasked questions, identifying those and asking critical questions of our own are the heart of media literacy. Now, every single bit of that is true of digital media as well. So we see digital literacy as being an outgrowth of media literacy because there is a fundamental difference between digital media and traditional media. In traditional media, you as an audience are at the end of a chain. It starts with the people making it, then someone distributes it and brings it to you, and that's it. You consume it, maybe you talk to other people about it, maybe if you really engage, you write a letter or something like that, send an email, but fundamentally it's a one-way relationship and it ends with you. Digital media is different. Digital media is networked. We're not at the end of a chain. We're in the middle of an infinite network. All of us are at the middle because the network is functionally infinite. And so no matter what, we are always sending things back. Now, sometimes that's conscious, like when we're participating in social media and we're posting photos or whatever. 
Sometimes it's an interaction with other people, like in an online video game. Sometimes it's unconscious. So when we're doing something like watching Netflix, which feels very much like a traditional media experience, we're still sending data back because Netflix is watching us. Netflix knows what you watched. It knows how long you watched it. It knows which shows you gave up on and which ones you binged. So you're always sending things back. And that is the major difference. And that has huge numbers of ramifications. It means, for instance, that the role of distributors as gatekeepers, the people who used to bring us uh, media, has changed completely and become much diminished. And that's why we get information from so many more sources than we used to. And it's devalued the role of authorities and experts, again, because anyone can share their content online. And because the cost of creating media online is so low and the cost of distributing it is Mm. close to zero, anyone can create a professional-looking website, can call themselves an institute or a university, and so on. Mm. And the other major influence that's relevant to what we're talking about today is that because digital media are two-way, because they're always interactive in some way, the tools that we use when using digital media influence how we use them. And that can be anything from the architecture, how it's built. So for instance, how Google responds to our searches compared to another search engine, what tools are available to us in Google. Every now and then Google will change a search operator and I have to relearn how to do an advanced Google search all over again. And I have to go back and revise all of our tip sheets. But also... It's on the level that we don't see of things like the algorithms that deliver content to us. And that's increasingly important because we know, for instance, on YouTube, 70% of YouTube views are not something that someone chose. 70% of views are someone just watching what is recommended in the up next bar. So two thirds of the content that people are watching on YouTube is being delivered to them algorithmically. So that is a huge influence on how we use media. And that's true with every tool that we use. Every single one has been optimized in that way. And we've seen many times that just small tweaks to this al- these algorithms can have a huge influence on things like misinformation, online hate, advertising. And in many cases, even the people who have created these algorithms don't fully know how they work because they're designed, they're created through machine learning. Um, so they create the basic frame and they sort of tell the algorithm the desired outcome. And that's what they tweak. And they may tweak the inputs, but fundamentally it is the algorithm itself deciding how to get there. And so having a clear understanding of that is very similar to having that fundamental understanding in traditional media that media are constructed, that we have to understand that when we're using digital media, we're participating in a network. It's not the same thing as old school media and that we have to be aware of the ways in which the tools we use influence how we use them. Wow, you bring up really good points. Understanding how these systems work really is important. Mm -hmm. And it's important to say too that there are positives to yeah, all of these. Sure. And the, the, it can be very difficult to separate out the positives and the negatives. So we know, for instance, that the communities that are most likely to value social media as a source of news are the communities that were traditionally underrepresented in journalism. 
So African-Americans, for instance, we don't have Canadian data on this, but based on data from the United States, African-Americans are more likely to value social media like Twitter as a source of news because they have a lifetime of not seeing their issues and their lives reflected in mass media. So there are a lot of positive sides to these changes, but we do have to understand these changes. I think the net benefit in the long run is going to be positive, but it's going to depend on preparing everybody, especially youth, preparing them to take responsibility and to understand that they have power in this relationship in a way that they did not before, much more power than they had with traditional media. Well, I wanted to know if you could talk about what the connections are between being media literate and civic engagement. They're more important than ever. Media literacy, of course, has always been key to civic engagement because very few of us get political information directly from the source. We get it mediated. We get it through media sources. And so being able, again, to understand the influences on journalism or just the structure of journalism, what's called news literacy. There's been research that's found that just understanding how the news business works just understanding, for instance, who it is in a newsroom that assigns a story, who decides whether something's worth covering or not, what the difference is between an anonymous and a confidential source, just understanding these kind of nuts and bolts things about news media makes people much, much better able to engage critically with news, but also to tell the difference between legitimate news and misinformation. So adding on to that, of course, today we have... Um, digital literacy, because once again, we're getting our news now at a further remove. So it used to be, of course, we didn't get it directly from the source. We got it from a newspaper or TV news. And many people still get it from those sources, but they tend to get it indirectly. Relatively few people will go to a website, you know, the CBC website or the Globe and Mail website or the National Post website. They'll get this, these articles shared with them either by friends or other contacts, or sometimes will be shared with them algorithmically. So for instance, if you use the Apple or the Google News app, things get shared with you that they think you're going to be interested in. And so we have an added burden now. We have to do the job that journalists and editors used to do for us. And that is to tell, well, where is this coming from? So you know, when your Uncle Fred shares a story with you on Facebook or wherever, our instinct is to trust Uncle Fred. But the fact is that we can't. We have to do a little more digging. We have to figure out, well, where did Uncle Fred get it? Because we all make mistakes. So we have to go in and we have to say, okay, where did this come from? And if it's not a source that we already recognize as being reliable, we need to take another 30 seconds. And really, we're, that's all we're talking about. We're talking about 30 seconds to like two minutes tops. Take another 30 seconds, do a search and say, who is this source? Is this reliable? And I always use the example of Australian newspapers, right? So if you someone shared an article with you from an Australian newspaper, most likely, and maybe I'm talking to the wrong person here, <laughs> but in most cases, if you're not Australian, you wouldn't know whether it's the Australian version of the New York Times or the Australian version of the National Enquirer. So you have to do a little bit of extra work. You do a little Google search, you go to Wikipedia, and you check and see, well, how is this viewed? And if you don't find anything, well, that's a bad, bad sign. If you do find something, then you kind of weigh it. You say, well, what's this thing? What's this paper's track record? Are they known to have a bias? That's not necessarily a bad thing. Almost everybody has some kind of bias, but what kind of a track record do they have of mitigating and getting around that bias? 
And we also, of course, have the ability, thanks to the internet, to use online tools. So we can use fact-checking tools like uh, Snopes uh, or FactsCan to just see if something's been debunked because we know that all the time there are zombie claims going around, claims that have been debunked years ago, but people keep sharing them. There are photos that get spread around. We just had, once again, that famous shark on the highway photo got spread around during Hurricane Dorian. I've seen that photo for 10 years now. (laughs) Wow. Uh, It goes around every single time there's a storm. Mm. But we also can use the fact that when we're online, you can search 10 newspapers at once. So if you hear or see a story and you see, hmm, that seems a little too good to be true, you can do check what other sources are saying. It takes you, again, 30 seconds a minute. And you can say, did this really happen? And if it did happen, did it happen the way this first source said it did? Are they giving you basically the consensus? Because that really is most of the time what you want. We don't have to be experts. And that really is our message, that you don't have to be an expert fact checker because there are expert fact checkers that you can use. But really what you want to find out is, where did something come from? Are they a reliable source? Is there a consensus that something happened and happened more or less as that source puts it? And if you're looking at something like science or uh, health or medicine, does it match the scientific consensus? And if not, how strong is the evidence? Four simple steps that I was just talking about. So firstly, use fact-checking resources, and that often is going to be the only thing you have to do. Track something to the original source. Find the original source of something to make because there's no point in fact-checking it until you know where it's come from. When you find that original source, verify it if it's not one that you already recognize as being reliable. And finally, check other sources. So look for consensus. Again, use those terrific tools. We've created some custom search engines that will search uh, about 10 fact-checking organizations that will search about a dozen science magazines, that will search about a d- 10 Canadian newspapers. But there are also existing tools to do that as well. Even in Google, if you switch, if you search for something and just switch over to the news tab from the main search, you get a much more powerful, much more curated result that looks primarily at genuine news sources. So just taking those four steps, each one of them is not going to take you more than 30 seconds or a minute. And that's what we all need to do to try to improve the health of our information environment. How can our listeners learn more and get in touch? So our website, once again, is mediasmarts.ca. Um, in French, that's habilomedia.ca. And uh, almost everything we offer is available for free there. Listeners, if you're wondering where to get that, just uh, check out the show notes. Thank you so much, Matthew. This has been a really yeah. informative uh, conversation. My pleasure. It's always an opportunity and it's a pleasure for me to talk about our work. Everyone, that was our show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our special guest. Thanks to Janet Moa. And uh, thank you, Matthew Johnson, for coming back on the show for that edited interview. As always, please subscribe, share our podcast, check out our social media. You can reach out to us. You can write to us at admin at literacyquebec.org. Send us a voicemail at 514-508-6805. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. At Literacy Quebec is our handle. You can check out now YouTube videos of some of our interviews. Thanks to Peter. Thanks to Chris. And thanks to the LQ team. 
Looking forward to seeing you again, talking to you again in October. 